Welcome to another episode of the X-Experts Divorce Etc. podcast, where we give you all kinds of information and tips on everything divorce. Why? We've lived it, so we get it. We're Jessica and TH. And keep in mind, you can get X-Experts in your inbox by signing up for our newsletter, get the latest news and find out all about our events before anyone else, plus access special discounts and prices. Head to xexperts.com to subscribe. Welcome everybody to today's Divorce Etc. podcast. We have the Honorable Ronnie Joe Siegel with us. And we found Ronnie from so many of our ex-experts who said, you've got to call her. You've got to call her. She's got to be on ex-experts platform and share her experience with your audience. So we really are so happy and appreciate you giving your time to share some insights with our audience today. Well, TH and uh, Jessica, thank you very much for asking me to, to speak with you and those people uh, that follow your, your site. I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Thank you so much. So we're gonna get right into it. Um, as some of you may have heard, if you're listening to our podcast, I have been in front of three judges in a courtroom. I've been in front of two judges outside of a courtroom who were retired and, and tried to help us mediate. And it's a daunting experience to be in front of a judge. All of my judges were very different. I have to say I am partial to the women because unfortunately the man, the male judge I had was not really supportive of women that's what I felt anyway. And that was my first experience. So I was scared to say the least. So I, I guess my, my, my first question is to you, like I'm someone who comes into the court scared. If people are headed to court, and as we know, it only takes one of the parties to drag the other one into court. What kind of advice can you give? Because you don't know what to expect. And I think most people just want to go in and be like, Judge Siegel, don't you see it my way? I'm going to tell you everything so you'll believe in me. So let's start with that first myth, which I believe it is. Well, it's an inability. I mean, it, it, it's an accurate hope that every litigant comes into court with the view that if they just had that opportunity to tell their story, uh, that judge would be, quote, fair with them and in fact, rule in their favor. Uh, the dilemma is, uh, and, and in fact, uh, family court is what we call a court of equity. So again, that reinforces the view that when you come into the courtroom, you're going to be treated fairly by the judge that's going to hear your case. Uh, but there are so many other issues that affect the ultimate outcome that if I could just point out to you what a litigant, a man or a woman can expect, that may alter not, yes. your, not your belief in the court system, but rather maybe that's not the direction you want to take. Meaning if the judge just heard my, my story and we had a trial, I think that judge would rule in my favor. I think that's the hope because, mm -hmm. uh, because I have a story to tell. So let me just share some pointers to you. Please, okay. please. So one, um, it takes time uh, to get to trial. And the judge in front of you has not 10 cases, but hundreds of cases. 
uh, you are one of many cases to this judge. And unless you are a quote custody case, which, which happens absent that, your case is gonna be handled in a chronological order. So that if you start on day one, there are those cases before you that go first. Um, so you have to wait your turn. And even judges who I think are very conscientious and wanting to move their calendar and to get those uh, matrimonial matters resolved. And indeed there's a public policy, at least in the state of New Jersey, that from the beginning to the end, it should all take place within one year. And I ask you both to think back to your own situations. Did your case take just one year? Highly unlikely, even the simplest of cases seem to take longer than that. Why is it? It's because even the most conscientious of judges can't move a case that quickly because they have to attend to so many other cases. Maybe that's the reason why 99% of all cases are settled as opposed to tried because people going through emotional turmoil because every case I, I know of involves sort of some type of emotional havoc to themselves, to their children, to their families, and you want to get it resolved. So how do you do it? If you, go ahead. I'm sorry. So I was going to say, I mean, I it logically and pragmatically, what you're saying makes so much sense. The courts have a lot of cases in front of them. There's only so fast that your case will be heard in front of a court. And of course, you're one of numerous cases that the judge is dealing with. On the flip side, I think that what you're saying is like exactly what everyone is afraid of. Like, I'm a number. I'm just one of 300 cases in front of this judge. They just read my papers yesterday. They couldn't possibly remember the last time I was in front of them eight months ago or whatever the case may be. I did not litigate, fortunately for me. So I don't have that that um, experience to, to play off of. But I think that that's exactly what everyone's afraid of. Like they they're dealing with so much that my circumstances are not meaningful or important. And yet at the same time, this is my life. Well, I think, I think you captured an important point. I would not say to you that the court system is indifferent or insensitive to your case. And indeed, I think I, I tried very hard to remember every case where the parties appeared before me before. That was part of my responsibility. But the opportunity to give it the time that it needs to handle your case conscientiously from beginning to end, it's gonna take a long period of time and that's unsatisfactory. So the issue is how do we resolve it, right? How do we get past that fact? Now you also have to remember, or one has to remember a judge's perspective as to what's fair, maybe right. as to what you think is fair. Uh, I faced people that lived on oh, um, 10,000 a year. 15,000 a year, $25,000 a year. And those people at the other side of the continuum who hoped when they got an award of alimony and child support that they would be getting 10,000 a month, 15,000 a month. So this is what a judge sees. A judge sees people that have limited income and that's a real, that's a reality and more extraordinary income. Neither one is wrong, but that's what a judge sees from a judge's perspective. In addition, the problems that a family may have, the judge sees um, parties with disabilities, children with disabilities, how do they get health care coverage? How do they get the kind of education they may need? 
And yet they also see at the other side of the spectrum parties that it's very important to get their child not only into college, but to private college, not only into a summer program, not at the school, but maybe that private sleepaway camp. So at the end right. of the day, that's a judge's big picture. Is that your picture? Your your case is very important to you, but to the judge, they see that. In addition, you have to remember judges who receive a, an excellent salary is between in New York and New Jersey, 160,000 to 165. So sometimes for a well-to-do family, when they, when they talk about their difficulties, you're dealing with somebody who has seen the very poor or the very limited means. Right how hard they work with their own means and now you know what their their salaries are how will that affect if at all right if at all how could it not how right. could it not affect i come in there and i'm like i i need ten thousand a month in child support and a judge is thinking you know that's almost my entire salary and you're saying you can't possibly live without that i mean how can that not affect you know the, the outcome of that, and again, I think it plays directly into the fears of people going into court. Like, this is the, the lifestyle to which I've become accustomed. Well, I, I, I think what you point out is a reality, but I would not say that judges are, quote, prejudiced against people who are more affluent, but rather it's just something that you have to recognize, that you are one important case but you are one of many important cases that a judge has to deal with. And the person who you are speaking to sees a broad spectrum of, of people with varying financial circumstances, varying problems, and you have to keep that in mind. And that should, in fact, influence what you're going to do with your own case. Where can you get the best result? Where can you get more fairly heard? And that's what I think has to affect how you proceed with your own case. So where can a person be more fairly heard or where can someone get a, the best outcome? I mean, I think that we've spoken to a lot of lawyers who have, I, I, it seems like the general consensus is if you can settle, you're better off. And I think that there are- 100%. And I think that there are a lot of people out there, people that I, that I know personally that I've spoken to and amongst people that TH and I have spoken to through ex-experts who have just been worn down to the point where they will accept a settlement that they don't think is fair or uh, applicable to the reality of the, of the situation but feel like they have no other options. Their lawyers are telling them, you know, you're, you're, you have to just kind of assume what the outcome is gonna be. Yes, there are laws and there are things that judges have to rule on based on the law, but it seems like there's a lot of gray in there and you, you well, kind of are at the mercy of whoever that is that's working on your case. I felt like I was totally at the mercy of the judge and I was so happy to move on from the first judge because I didn't also the, the other thing is like is the judge in a good mood today <laughs> did the judge just hear a really bad case and is like annoyed with the lawyers and you know the defendant and and whatever and and now it's my turn like what is the mood of the judge how does that play into my like 30 minutes in front of the judge. I'm going, you know, I, I thought a little bit about how I would respond to that kind of a question. 
It's definitely a question out there, but you can respond however you see fit. So the court system affords parties going through a divorce a lot of opportunities to try to, quote, settle the case. Yes. They come for a case management conference. There's an early settlement panel. There's an intensive settlement conference. There's required mediation. All those are steps that you take in an effort to promote a resolution. There are some people uh, that still feel that things will be different if they have their case tried. Right. And to be honest with you, um, there are many risks involved. Courts don't have great creativity. What do I mean by that? We're bound by statute. And the statute gives us certain factors we have to look at. And that one factor that I see repeated by, by many people, that I was a good spouse, I was a good mom, I was a good dad, and I tried and I did all the things that were expected of me. And now they're all forgotten. That There's no factor for that one. Meaning factor number 15 isn't that factor. And so there's factors like health and there's factors like age and there's factors about income, but there's not a factor about I'm a good person. About character. Yes. So I, I, I want to underscore that if you are going, if your case is before a judge, you have to remember that that very thing that you thought you would find when you went to family court, that court of equity, oftentimes just isn't built into this system. And so you then have to put on a different hat you have to try to resolve your case. The hat you wear every day when you're when you're resolving business problems or financial problems, that same hat, but you're filled with emotion, which is why hopefully you have somebody that can speak with you, an attorney that can give you guidance, because there isn't one answer. If there was, every single attorney would look in that same book and they would tell you this is what you can expect for alimony. This is what you could expect for equitable distribution. This is what we're going to do with the liabilities. This is how we're going to do custody, but there isn't that book. It's, it's argumentation. And so at the end of the day, I would say judges sometimes say, if you can't resolve your case by the time you get to me for trial, now it's in my hands and I'm going to tell you what I think is fair. And I don't think anybody should risk uh, putting their lives in the hands of a stranger. However, right. learned that stranger is, they should exercise as much control over their future as they can, even though it may well be a compromise. Uh, so it shouldn't be a disappointment. It should be an opportunity for you to think about what you need, think about what you want, and try to effectuate it in a different form. Uh, that's why people talk a little bit about collaborative law, and they talk a little bit about mediation. And those are fine vehicles for you to be creative and get a resolution. There are some cases, I believe, that can't be resolved, some cases that have to be tried. So what would you say are like the top most common mistakes you see people making when they come into the courtroom? We've had some lawyers talk about the mistake, quote unquote, of showing too much emotion or, you know, not knowing that you're not able to speak when you have not been addressed by the judge and people, understandably, their emotions can take over. As the judge, what are the, the most common mistakes you have seen over the years and that you would tell people listening, these are the top three things to do. not do? Well, I don't know if I could give you my top three, but I did give some thought about do's and don'ts. Okay. But I would would say to you, you're a litigant, this is your matter, and now how should it be handled? Well, remember, you've selected an attorney who hopefully 
you feel very comfortable with who's going to be your advocate, but it is your case. So every opportunity that you have to be in court and to introduce yourself to the judge by way of permitting the judge to see who you are, not hear who you are, but see who you are, you should take advantage of it because judges do remember your face. Um, always be respectful. What does that mean? You have to look respectful. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people dress in a manner that I think is really dis disrespectful to the court. We as judges have to wear a black robe. Uh, we expect lawyers, men or women, to wear suits or, or something that is formal. Well, we look at litigants and we think they should be respectful too. And we think that they should look the part of being in court because as we may recall growing up, court is a, a serious place to be. So I think they have to do that too because you are judged sometimes superficially by how you, your demeanor. Um, judges read the paper. So when we see the parties, we know when they appear before us through their, what we call case information statement or in New York, a net asset statement, we know their finances. So we know a lot about them, uh, but this is an opportunity for you to uh, introduce yourself. Don't bring a shopping bag. I can't tell you how many times for some reason, there's a litigant who hasn't gotten a briefcase yet or hasn't gotten a box yet and brings the shopping uh, bag with them to court because it has all the important papers that they have. Well, in court, we really don't do that much. So don't bring your shopping bag to court. <laughs> um, never interrupt your attorney. Um, you can write uh, a note to your attorney in the hopes that your attorney might say something or um, that they may have forgotten, but never interrupt, never speak out because judges sort of form an opinion about that aspect. And I would say you can really do a lot of homework in advance because you want your attorney to be the one that the judge relies on. So say the judge doesn't really know a lot about your case and they're gonna to listen to two different attorneys. You want your attorney to be the one that the court listens to because you're honest and because you know your facts because the judge will say, are there any health issues? How are the children doing? Um, what are the incomes of the parties? You want your attorney to know that information. So you should ask your attorney to give you the statutes. You should fill in all the factors and let your attorney be as knowledgeable about who you are and what you need as anybody else. That's your part and that's the role that you have to play. So, so for that, you're saying you have to go into court being comfortable that your lawyer should entirely be your voice. Assume that you're not going to speak. You're not going to speak. Right? They don't want you to speak. This is not trial. This is a court proceeding. Never bring your children to court. For some reason, there are those who believe um, having a youngster in court to show that they don't have home care, uh, to show that they were part of a domestic violence event and the child is a witness to... Um, to say that I didn't get child support and this is the child that is not being fed because they didn't receive support. Of all, I think the judges, you see, we speak for children. Of all the people that are important to us, it's really, we're the voice for children and we don't want children to be in the middle. And so there are those people that in some way think that it's appropriate to involve their child, either in the home front. And I would say to you, if there's something that you never do, 
It's never talk about your matrimonial matter to your youngster in any way, either to vindicate yourself or to explain what's going on. Children love their parents. For whatever reason, they love both parents and they don't want to take sides. They just hope you, as adults, could come and figure it out without their involvement. So don't bring them to court and don't talk to them uh, on the outside. Don't tape, never tape. If you're enjoying our Divorce Etc. podcast, be sure and subscribe to our newsletter to get ex-experts in your inbox. It's free and includes tips from real-life experts who've been through it, telling you what they wish they knew. You'll also hear about our upcoming episodes and Q&As with our experts. Plus, you'll find out about our upcoming events before anyone else and get access to discounts and preferred pricing. You can sign up at www.exexperts.com. Are you thinking about dating again after divorce, but have no idea where to start? Maybe you need a little self-esteem boost or brush up on your conversation skills. Are you overwhelmed by all the new dating apps and crazy jargon? If the answers are yes, then let relationship expert and dating coach Jennifer Hurwitz be your thinking partner, your cheerleader, and unbiased opinion when you need one. Divorced herself, Jennifer also survived the dreary dating waters, and so can you. It's her job to set you up for success, help you gain the confidence you need to attract the partner you deserve. If you're open to making positive changes and starting on your journey to finding love, book a free clarity call with Jen today on her website, jenniferhervitz.com. And if you mention the ex-experts, you'll receive a special discount. I think people, to your point, probably would bring kids hoping to kind of appeal to the judge's emotions, which probably goes also to the conversations that we've had before where lawyers have talked about people who come in and they are scared, worried, overwhelmed, and can't control their own emotions, understandably, and who will cry in court. And it seems like that also always um, generates a negative reaction from the judge that they, that, you know, but meanwhile, I'm sure there are a lot of litigants who go in and they, you can't help cry in a, in a moment like that. I I have to, I have to say something because, um, obviously it got easier the more I showed up and mine took four years. Um, but that first time in front of that judge and what he said to me, um, I totally cried. I totally cried. I, I just well, felt like yeah. I'm, I'm in, I'm, this is going to be a nightmare. It was a nightmare in another way, but emotionally I was like, he doesn't even know me and he's making assumptions about me and what I need and don't need. He has, he has no idea. Well, I think, so. I think, I think crying is normal. And yeah, I mean, to I, expect someone to be robotic and you're saying that character isn't a factor in deciding things like we're still human. So the, I guess the question is, is it OK to be human in control, but still be human? I think yes, but I, I think from a judge's vantage point, I think we see a party who is overwhelmed by the emotions of divorce. We know that we understand it. Um, I I was in the family part because I wanted to be there. So I, I understood for well um, how hard it was for men and for women uh, to go through this process. Uh, but I guess a lot of it is procedural. So I want to know when are they going to get their interrogatories in? 
when are they going to take the depositions? I right. know it was all a checklist right. of where's the rest of your stuff. We've got another case behind right. you. Let's go. Move your case forward. Even if I was only interested in your case, you don't need your judge to be your friend. You need your judge oh. to help you resolve your case uh, and, and get it done in a way that's fair to you and to your family. So how do I do that? Um, I, I think that's what a judge's focus is. How do I move that case forward in a fair manner? So you have to listen very carefully. Uh, you have to pay attention. You, and you size up people too. I, I want you to know that we, we look at the parties and we, we size them up and we see their appearances and how they react and, and how they're conducting themselves. That's part of our assessment of credibility and, and who these individuals are. Are they dismissive? Are they uh, rude to the court? Are they rude to their attorneys? Are they rude to their wife? Do they say ill things to their wives or husbands and yet they're very respectful of the court? What's that all about? Right. Nothing goes unnoticed uh, by a judge who has an opportunity different than the parties and the attorneys to see the whole courtroom, to see the whole panel right in front of them. So we see everything going on. The and body language. I, I have a question, um, which I, I'm not really sure if I had asked in my case, but are you allowed to petition to change judges? Yes, you can. Um, there has to be a reason. Right, of course. It has to be one, uh, a legal reason. And the attorney who represents you will say, well, will the judge be offended um, if they, because you're making that application to that judge. So you're asking that judge to recuse himself or herself. And why are you asking the judge mm -hmm. to do that? Unless there's an extraordinarily good reason, like a conflict of interest kind of a thing. Most judges just stay with the case. I don't think, to be honest with you, I would be offended if somebody felt on this matter, I might not be as fair to them as they would like, because I think the next time in court, the other side might feel that way. I think right. Just right. Comes right. But, um, but um, so you can make the application. There has to be a very good legal reason to move it. Otherwise, judges will be moving out and about all the time. And it's a, it sounds like it's a little risky, because if they don't recuse themselves, now you're stuck with the same judge, and you've told them you don't like them, and you don't want them on right. your case. And now right. you you be worried that you're going to deal with the wrath of that. I'm curious, Judge, whether or not there were times where you felt for whatever reason that you wanted to rule a certain way in a case on a motion, but your hands were tied based on the statutes, the law, whatever, like when it does have these gray areas, there presumably may have been times where you really can empathize and understand and feel like, yeah, that is the right way to go. But yet this is how it has to be. Well, I think in the law, in, in the situations of equitable distribution or alimony or custody and parenting time, uh, you, it is gray. It isn't black or white. And I think you are affected um, by the facts that you're given. So that could be the case. But I would say to you, it's not a creative area. Uh, law is not creative. And if you need a result that's a little bit more creative, then you're in the wrong forum for that. You should go to mediation because you, your judge is not legally permitted to do some things that are outside the scope of what the statute dictates. And that could be problematic for you.
do you think that the system, and you may not want to answer this, so that's totally fine, but do you think that the system is kind of antiquated in terms of judgment? You know, there's, I don't know if there are new things. It feels like there's new things all the time coming up. I know you've seen a lot, but I've also heard that the system is antiquated and there are other rumors around um, from some documentaries that were done that, you know, judges are in cahoots with lawyers and, you know, it's all a business of generating money for the lawyers and maybe for some judges, I have no idea, but this is just the stuff that's out there. Um, that I read about now. And so I'm just curious about your opinion of this. It's very sad that litigants have come to feel that impression that they don't feel that they can go to court and, and the system is fair to them. That's really a, a tragedy. Do I think it's an antiquated? I think maybe if we had more judges, then you could move it absolutely quickly um, if things could be more affordable because. Uh, sometimes parties are self-represented. Should it be as difficult as it is for self-represented individuals who can't afford counsel to find their way to get a fair result? And other people, understandably and happily, they can have attorneys, but not everybody can afford it. So making um, representation more affordable, uh, making uh, more judges so that you can get a more prompt result. But in terms of quote, being in cahoots, to be honest with you, although I, I gather that's been said, um, I have a, a wonderful view of the, of the attorneys that have been before me who I think are very caring, and uh, the other judges that I've worked with who I think are very dedicated, very dedicated to the work that we do. I, I have a, uh, I'm curious, you just brought up uh, the idea, obviously, that there are a lot of litigants who come in that are unrepresented. And in this particular divorce documentary that TH and I had seen, which I believe was called Divorce Inc., um, it really talked about Divorce Corp. Divorce Corp. Yes. And it, it talked about, it was nationwide. It wasn't, it wasn't just in the Northeast or in the tri-state area here, but it did talk about that in, in a number of courtrooms across the country in uh, primarily other areas that it seemed that the majority of people uh, unrepresented were women. Um, and it seemed like a lot of them were being um, put in a position where things were happening. They were being, they were having judgments against them. Uh, almost for technicalities, you know, they didn't understand the statutes, they didn't understand the technicalities of the law, and so they hadn't prepared things properly. And in and in being in that position, they were the underdogs, they were, you know, the, the judges were getting frustrated, because right. it was more work for the judges that these people didn't understand and had to be explained things in court. Do you feel and not necessarily in your courtroom, but overall, would you say that people who are unrepresented are in fact at a disadvantage in getting a divorce? Yes, unless unless your case is so simple, meaning you're there just to get a divorce, or maybe the less complex case where it's a house to be sold, there are no children, or maybe if there's one child and both of you are wage earners, absent something which I would call on a more simple track. I think everybody is aided by having uh, assistance with people that are knowledgeable about that area. How could it not be? You know, right. Like 
do you need a doctor? Right, of course. So, So what do you consider to be the most unfair aspects of divorce court? Well, like, I think if I could wave a magic wand and hope that uh, things would be better, it would be faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the time that you file your complaint for divorce until the time that you're entitled to get your judgment of divorce, uh, it would be faster for you because while that's happening, you have children that are in a state of um you know, their parents were one place and now they're someplace else. And it's hard for them and it's hard for you because you don't know what your future holds. You don't know what your finances will be. So I would like it faster. Um, and I, I think I think everybody has to play a part. I, I think the, the attorneys have to be responsive to their clients. Uh, I was thinking that if you ever had an attorney, uh, you don't want that attorney that can't call you back. Right. You want that attorney that calls you back right away, even if it's only to say, I'm in the middle of trial and I can't talk to you now, but I could talk to you later. But I got that phone call. You don't want the one that says I work from nine to five, just like you, and I can't because our problems as you know, can happen before nine or after five. And you right. need have a way and it's not that people are not respectful but sometimes there's a certain sense of urgency and family law that you want that person who will be responsive to you so i guess attorneys that are more caring not that i don't think that they are no understood but but i think to your point and and, and and go ahead we brought it up a few times just so everybody really takes the time to pick the right attorney for you. I dove right into it. I grabbed her. She was a referral. That was like knee jerk reaction, but that's what we did 14 years ago. You get what it, what's the first thing you do? You get a lawyer. And so that's what I did. I didn't come in with questions for her. I didn't ask her anything. I just spewed everything all over her desk from my mouth, basically. And then I rode along with her and, and I, challenged her sometimes, but you can challenge your attorney. You should ask questions. They do work for you. And if they're not being and representing you properly in front of a judge, that means they're probably not doing it properly when they're negotiating with the other attorney either. And then you fire that attorney. So hold on, because I have a friend who is on either her third or fourth attorney. So how does that look to a judge? I'll tell you what it looks like to a judge. That happens on occasion. And, and, and maybe your friend could really explain the mistakes that she made after each situation. But oftentimes we think, well, maybe there's a problem with that client that they can't, that they can't select one person that can properly represent them. Is it always the attorney's fault? So I think we do think of that. How many times has the person engaged um, a, new, a new attorney? Then we think maybe there's a problem with the party and not the attorney. So, yeah, that's a scary place to be. Do yeah. you feel like the laws, and I know that you were a judge in 
New Jersey, so you can't necessarily speak to every state across the country or the world, but do you feel like the law skews more in favor of women over men or vice versa for in any aspect? Well, I do to the degree that I understand other states. Um, New Jersey is more favorable in offering the opportunity for women to, to receive a fair share of alimony and for children to get a college education and contribution from both parties. Uh, but the law did change. Uh, some parts of that change in the alimony law were positive, um, but in some aspects to that change, they were negative. Uh, same thing with uh, custody and parenting time. So at the end of the day, it's really how you advocate, I think, um, as opposed to the law per se. So, but I do think there are states that I'm aware of that don't, they're not as generous or as uh, fair to women. If women are the ones that are not the, the wage earner and they're hoping to receive support from a spouse, some states are not um, as generous with them as, as our states are. And so after everything, even being the judge, your recommendation to people going through divorce would still be, if you're able to settle, don't let it get to court if it doesn't need to. Right. I, I, would, I would say your better view is to be in control, to do your homework, to select a good attorney, and to, to try to resolve your case. Be part of the 95% of people that... Uh, resolve their case, as opposed to that small number that are insistent that they must have it tried by a, a stranger, however smart, a stranger. Yeah. I, I will say that the other two judges, and, and I never, you know, petitioned to change my judge. It just happened that they were rotating in and out, um, but they really tried. They really tried to help us settle. And I felt like they were helping me because I wanted, I wanted to be done. But then he called in another expert. I had to go see and another expert. And the more people that get involved in your case, it really is. There are too many cooks in the kitchen. And then you get scared that, well, not all these people are going to represent me. And how does he even know if I'm a good mom? I think you know, like now you're, now you're like really just, so I, I implore everyone, like I was married to someone who was not letting go, um, cream rises to the top <laughs> and we settled the morning of trial. So, but all that money was spent preparing for trial and I don't know. I try to look back and see what I could have done differently. And the truth is uh, there was nothing. You were a victim in, in being a victim. You were there, there was nothing I could do. I could just, you know, fight for the things that I knew that were super important. And that's actually what I brought up when we were in settlement conversations to resolve those things that were really important to me that maybe he didn't, he didn't realize for sure, or he wouldn't have agreed to them. You know, I, I, you brought out a point which I had wanted to share, which was going to court versus trying to resolve it. The, the cost, uh, emotional, because there's a delay in time, and the financial cost of going to court, of preparing for trial, of preparing for experts, is so enormous that wouldn't that money be better spent? Oh, yes. In your pocket, no less. Wouldn't it be better spent than it would be 
on, on experts and attorneys and, and elsewhere. So the emotional toll is, is great, uh, but the financial toll is enormous. So uh, yeah, you brought out a wonderful point and that's very accurate. Every time I walked into court, even though it got easier to be in front of a judge, I literally, like my stomach was churning that I was again walking into the courthouse and sitting at the table and just the process of it all is just, it's, it's hard. So everyone do the best you can listen to what, um, honorable judge Siegel has said to all of you. And if you're stuck like me, then unfortunately you're stuck, but, but there are so many more options today than there were for us back then. So thank you so much for your time again and sharing your knowledge and guidance and direction. You are going to help a lot of people make the best choices that they can. I hope so, TH and Jessica. It was so nice to be with you today. Thank you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. For everyone out there listening, if you know anyone at all who would benefit from what we've talked about today, please share this episode and everything X-Experts. Be sure and click to subscribe, rate, and review our Divorce Etc. podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And please follow us on social media, at X-Experts, on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. You can also find so much more, including articles and even the podcast transcripts on our website at www.exexperts.com. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter now. When you get X-Experts in your inbox, you're the first to hear about all of our happenings at events, plus access special discounts and prices. Thanks for listening.